Uh, last week, we started a series uh, that will last at least through the fall, first several chapters of Genesis. And uh, I've decided to call this series uh, The Order of Things. Now, last week, we looked at the word cosmology because that's what cosmology is. It is about the origin and the nature of the universe. And I'm sure you probably heard this. I don't think I said it, but to understand cosmology is the word we get cosmetics from, which means to bring order out of disorder. <laughs> and uh, if I were to meet every one of you sitting in each row, you have a cosmology. And, and either we have a good one or a bad one. And so the reason we're going to look at Genesis is because it tells us a cosmology that's right. It tells us that, that a good God created the world. And therefore there's meaning. Versus a cosmology that says it's just always been here. And so there's no meaning. But it also teaches us that God created with a purpose, and especially us as human beings, with a purpose. Everybody here uh, has a purpose, and we're, we're intuitive about that. Now, I also said last week that the reason I've been burdened to preach on Genesis, and I've thought about it for the last four or five years, it's because in my 30 years of ministry, we have moved from a materialistic, secular worldview that science can answer all the questions. And that began to be rejected probably uh, a generation ago, and we began to move toward, well, no, there are no experts. So who's to say? And so you create your own, own reality. That is, so everything's... Uh, not reason, but everything's relative. Well, here's what's happening. And, and I, I'm not an alarmist. I, I, as I said, I don't want to do culture wars. But as I was reading Jeremiah this week, uh, Israel eventually went into a Babylonian captivity. And I believe we have moved into a Babylonian captivity. And it's through uh, this new spirituality called neo-paganism. And it's the old paganism. There's nothing new under the sun. In fact, paganism was long before Jesus Christ came to the world. And you go, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? Well, I, I gave you uh, some examples last, uh, last week. But, but, but might I suggest that throughout the history of church, that has always seeped into the church. And so it looks kind of like this. People are more interested in spiritual experience in churches, then they are thinking through, wow, if this is true, I must die to self and live to Christ. And so we seek experiences. And so we think, because we maybe like the music this morning, which I did, and I'm going to miss Gresham, but our goal is not to move people for the sake of moving them, but you're moved by the words of the hymns. And of course, God has given us music because, because He's God and He gives us good things. 
And I, I have to convince you of this. And if you're, if you're my age or older, or maybe 50 and older, I used to say 50 and older, but I'm in the next decade. Don't you have, if you're older, don't you have this uneasy sense that something's shifted? You can't put your hands on it. Well, it's because of the new spirituality. Oh, well, I'm not into, I'm not into religion. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm not into religion. I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I don't need to go to church. Or you make a parachurch ministry your church or whatever it may be. Ladies and gentlemen, Genesis is an amazing um, description of who God is and what he's done. And so, uh, now we don't have time to read the whole text. I wasn't planning on reading the whole text. So, I, would you please turn your bulletin? And I promise you, I'm just going to read a few verses here because for sake, of, for sake of time, we're going to be coming back to Genesis 1 several times. So, let me read God's Word to you. This is God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God, God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And this is God's word. Let's pray that he would bless the preaching of the word and the hearing of the word. Let's pray. Father, cause us by your grace. To believe what we just said is, is true history. Uh, this is your record for, for us. This, as it were, is the site plan, the overview upon which we understand all the details. I pray for any who are here who are not believers, that they, that they would see something of the beauty that you're good and everything you made is good and is redeemable. And Father, for us who are believers, um, we confess to you that uh, we believe that you did this and yet you're not involved in our lives at all anymore. And help us to understand uh, that you have redeemed us to be sought and light, uh, not by being moral or being good or trying hard, but by looking and gazing upon you and the love you have for your people through Jesus Christ who entered into our darkness so that light might come. Lord, as I look at this text, and this text has been preached on for a long, long time by many, many great preachers, much greater than I. I've been very humbled over the months that I've studied this chapter. And so, Lord, I am incapable of taking all these things that you've taught me and condensing it, in such a way that it changes lives. And we need your spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would move us by this text. 
that we could understand it and thus repent and believe the gospel. And we ask it in your name. Amen. There's at least 500 people that are here this morning. And you're coming from all walks of life. You all come from different backgrounds. You've had all different kinds of experiences. Uh, and each of us, because of the culture that we live in, and I don't say a lot about it because people talk about it all the time, because we're so inundated with information. I don't care if you've grown up Christian or whatever it is you've grown up. There's increasingly this idea that anybody that thinks uh, that there's a way to look at the world, uh, that anybody can um, somehow create some cohesive uh, philosophical, theological construct upon which uh, uh, we can love, uh, live life. Um, I mean, who's to say what reality is? Right? I mean, why are you here? Why would you waste 30 minutes of your time to come and hear some preacher? And anyone who uh, says there is a way to look at the world is either A, a charlatan, peddling something, or very insecure about what they believe. And so they demand that everybody has to think the way that they think. Let me give you an example of that. When I was a campus minister with RUF at Vanderbilt, uh, I arrived, and within a couple of years we had hundreds of students coming. There was concern about that. Now, the reason they were coming is, is simply because I said, okay, uh, guys, here's the cosmology. Here's, here's reality. And I'm going to poke into your head, and I'm going to tell you the way you're thinking and how you're coming to stuff and so on and so forth. And, and so people started hearing the gospel. Uh, men and women were coming to Christ. And uh, so one of the chaplains uh, was very upset about that. And actually, it was an atheist chaplain. I know some people are like, what? Um, well, just come to Vanderbilt. And, and, uh, so I, and, and I'm trying to be as nice as I know how to be. I don't want to be arrogant because our ministry has grown right. It's the gospel. And so one of the chaplains wanted me to meet with the head chaplain, who was a Christian agnostic. That was his calling card. So I'm with an atheist chaplain and a Christian agnostic chaplain. And uh, the atheist chaplain said, this man does not belong here at Vanderbilt. And, and began to call me evil. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, you better call my wife. <laughs> and, uh, and, and she said this. Because he believes in answers, and there are no answers. Now I said, well, you've got one answer. <laughs> you don't want me at Vanderbilt. Is that an absolute answer or a relative answer? Now, but the fact is that I don't care who you are. I don't care if you grew up in South Georgia on a farm. I don't care if you grew up in New York City. I don't care if, you, if you're um, uh, somebody who kind of used to believe and you don't know if you believe and now you're living in fornication, you're living in sin. And that's always convenient. People say, well, I quit believing the gospel. I'm like, really? When? They tell me, I said, did you start sleeping with somebody? And almost inevitably, I said. 
That's what Romans 1 is all about. Suppressing the truth. Why? Because we enjoy, our, we enjoy the things of the world in the wrong way. But it doesn't matter. You and I have to deal with these cosmological questions. Are y'all with me so far? Like I said, there are four. And, um, and I, there are four that I didn't come up with. A guy named Ravi Zacharias. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a, he's a converted Hindu who's the greatest apologist for the Christian faith. So let me give him credit. But, but he said there's four. And <clears throat> one is origin. I, it doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're Hindu or Muslim, atheist. It doesn't matter. You must answer these questions. And you sitting here today must answer these questions. And that is this. Number one is origin. Where did we come from? Does it really matter whether uh, God created us or we just came from the dirt? The second one is meaning. Is there any meaning? Does my life have any meaning? Matter of fact, we always ask the question, does it really matter? Well, the word matter is the Hebrew word for glory, weighty. I mean, what has the most weight in your life that you find your meaning in that thing? But if it's not God, if it's not the Creator, that stuff rules you. Right? Money. Success, prestige. Then the third one that kind of goes along with that is morality. Right? So why should I, or I should not do something? Like if you're living in sin and you know that you're living in sin, and you say, well, I don't believe in sin. Well, you're suppressing the truth. And by the way, sin, from a biblical standpoint, is transgression of the law of God. Well, that would presuppose that there's a God, right, who cares about it. And then the last one is destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Now, here's what's brilliant about what Ravi Zechariah says, and I've thought a lot about this. He said that if you're going to be halfway a normal person, you have to answer all those questions logically and consistently. In other words, you can make statements about reality. Well, I don't know if I believe in so-and-so, and yet the way you're living it is the exact opposite of that, that intellectual. I'm not talking about moral. Now, before I come to our text, I want to give you one example of this. I think I've given it before, but when I did live in Nashville, my neighbor across the street was a surgeon. And... Um, and his name, well, I can't say his name because this thing's all over everywhere now. But he was a friend of mine. But he was a lapsed Catholic. But we got to be good friends. And uh, so he would have these big parties and, and, and the lady next door and they'd have tents and, and I'd bring everybody over. And, um, and so we would always stay afterwards and have these long conversations about God and life. And, and, and so uh, I remember, uh, and we got to be good friends. And, and finally, he said, you know, I enjoy talking to you. I, I, I like talking to you, but could you just not quote the Bible all the time? Kind of screws up your arguments. I'm like, well, no, I can't do that. In fact, I would suggest to you that you don't live according to the things that you've stated to me. You live according to my view of reality. In fact, you're making money off my view of reality. And he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, somewhere in the conversation, you were asking, as I was quoting man being made in the image of God, he, he, you said, who's to say that spiders are any different than human beings? Right? We're all part of the one cosmos or whatever it was he was thinking at the time. 
And I said, okay, now let me just take your statement and show that you don't live according to that reality, but you're living according to my reality. I said, now when Uncle uh, George brings Aunt Betty in to have her gallbladder taken out, now how much do you charge, by the way, for gallbladder? I know, seriously, how much do you charge? He said, I don't know, it depends, maybe five, six, seven thousand dollars. I said, okay. That's probably because Uncle, I mean, Aunt Betty matters to Uncle George. I thought, we're going to debt. Put, take that gallbladder out. And I said, now, on the other hand, every Saturday I'm doing my push more. And uh, while I'm cutting my grass all morning long, all of a sudden there's this truck that pulls up with about eight guys. And they pull off all this big machinery. And in about, to, you know, 30 minutes, they cut your yard and your hedges. And I said, now, exactly how much do you pay them to do that? And he said, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I guess my, my wife pays him. I said, but you do pay him. He said, yeah, probably a couple hundred bucks, I would assume. I said, no, let me ask you this. Now, how many spiders do you think you chop up every time you have your grass cut and you're paying to kill them? And I said, so, so, so Mike, the scriptures correspond to reality. Y'all understand what I'm saying here? Okay, so... So here's, here's uh, what I want us to do. Just as introductory, as we look at the Word, I want us to see what is the context of Genesis. Why was it written? When was it written? Who wrote it? And it's very important to understand that. And then I just want to spend a moment on what the creation account was teaching the original audience and thus how to apply it to us. And then finally, I want us to just look at some practical applications of the cosmology of Genesis 1 on marriage, on what it means to be male and female, on food and what we eat, and how we dance, or how we don't dance sometimes. And you're going to see this amazing God who is good. And gracious. Now, what is the context of, of the writing of Genesis? Can I, can I read again what Moses wrote here? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In point two, I'm going to get a little bit more into exactly what that means, but but let's admit this, that Moses was not writing to a modern audience. Would y'all agree with that? Uh, if you're thinking, well, what does this text say about evolution or the age of the universe or fossil records? Y'all understand that was not the audience. The audience were Hebrews. And when Moses wrote this, they were in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, coming out of the land of slavery. They were herdsmen. They were farmers. They were common laborers. They were not students sitting in a religious studies class or a microbiology class. Now, some of you are going to go, oh, here he goes. He's going to start sliding out of this thing. Does this mean that Genesis does not address modern science or it's not a record of true history? No, it simply means that this was the original audience. 
Let me put it this way. Hebrew language has about 3,000 words in all the Masoretic texts, the Old Testament. We have thousands and thousands upon thousands of words. Okay? So it's kind of hard to do scientific stuff with 3,000 words. Now let me read uh, from a renowned uh, chemist, a British chemist uh, named Frederick Philby on, on this point. And now listen to what he says. Uh, if scientific description of a single hydrogen atom or a virus too small to be seen without a microscope takes an entire book, what hope is there for ever giving a scientific account of the creation of man in the universe? Not why he did it, but how he did it. Yet Genesis 1, in its original form, uses only 76 different root words. Which is pretty amazing. If Genesis were written in absolute scientific language to give an account of creation, there is no, not a man alive, nor ever has there been, who could understand it. Only the favored few could begin to understand it. Scientific description of the how of the universe is beyond the understanding of any human brain, but Genesis 1 was written for all readers, not for none. Isn't that a beautiful way to put it? I mean, it's, it's, it's not saying it's not scientific. I mean, it, it matches science. In fact, I can tell you, well, I'll come to that later. Okay, so he's writing. So Moses, and this is very important. What is the context? Because this is going to be very much applied to us. Moses was a Hebrew. Y'all remember that? He was, he was born, in, and then they hid him in a little river. Uh, well, a big river, the Nile River. He was fished out of the Nile River by God's providence because God wanted him to be the Pharaoh's son. And so he becomes a prince. And Egypt, I'm telling you, at that time, was the center of the world, and he got a Harvard, Cambridge, and Oxford education. Now, why do I tell you that? Because if you look at the uh, original ancient creation accounts, the Mesopotamian account, uh, and you look at the, uh, the Egyptian accounts of the creation, they were already there, yes, before Genesis was written. And Moses studied them and probably believed those accounts. Now, why did, why did they have accounts? Because they're interested in cosmology. Right? Well, why are we here? Why are we the slaves and these people over here are the ruling class? Well, let, let me give you just, just one, one account. Um, one was that the senior gods, there were senior gods and junior gods. There's the varsity and the junior varsity. Okay? And so the varsity gods made the junior varsity gods kind of do all the work. Till the, till the field, tend the field. And so the junior guys were kind of getting ticked off at this, and there's getting ready to be a rebellion. And so the senior gods said, you know what? Why don't we just make human beings then? And they can do all that manual labor. So the junior gods can sit back and rest. Now let me tell you, that was the thinking back then. So here are these poor slaves, whether they're Hebrews or anybody else, that wasn't part of the ruling class who considered themselves divine. They, get, they would say, well... I guess we were created 
to be slaves. Now, how many of y'all think like slaves? How much of your thinking has, rather than leading to a freedom and a liberty and what God has called you to, rather than becoming a great steward of the creation with our minds and, and our bodies, that we abuse things? Alcohol, sex, drugs, the desire to be the smartest person the best businessman, whatever it may be. And rather than bringing a liberty, it brings a slavery. That's the cosmology at that time. Now let me ask you, what is your cosmology? I'm, 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 I'm going to direct to Christians just for a moment. Does it lead to freedom? The joy of knowing Jesus Christ and the redemption of all things because the world has fallen. So what is the context? Well, Moses... God says, Moses, now, um, not only do I want to take these people out because I'm going to redeem a people out of all this fallen mess, I want you not only to be their redeemer, but I want you to teach them about me so that they might become the nation that I told Abraham they would become and that through Abraham all the nations will be blessed and there will be a restoration of, of God's good grace in this world. So, so Moses is writing. So here he is out in the wilderness. And guess what all those people want to do? Y'all, have you ever read like Exodus and Numbers? God's people? They wanted to go back. Didn't they? They wanted to go back to slavery. And so Moses is basically writing Genesis 1 and 2 to say, no, 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 no. Really what you want to do is go back to the garden and it doesn't exist anymore. And you're thinking that slavery is better than being here with God and moving toward promised land. And Moses is saying, and, and, and ladies and gentlemen, everything is future. And that history that's true for the Israelites is true for us today. Now, can I apply that real quick? Um, how many of you are believers? The reason that you're unhappy is because you thought that your redemption, what Christ has done for you, and the joy of knowing Christ, was basically about you. Rather than know now because we're Christians, we are to bear the image of Christ. And when Christ came into the world, into the darkness as the light of the world, He suffered so that we might have life. So if we as Christians are to be the people of God, and we're thinking that our lives are supposed to be great, and there's always money in the account, and my wife's always going to love me, and so on and so forth, then do you understand the disappointment? that you'll feel. So Moses is writing Genesis to say, no, we're not going backwards because the fall has taken place and we're moving forward. So are you moving forward? Or are you going, you know what, I'd just rather have season tickets and not give my tithe. I'd just rather, you know, give me cable television, 
three meals a day. And by the way, I'm not going to go take that new job because it doesn't have health insurance. And so you live your whole life based on whether you have health insurance and whether, uh, <clears throat> and whether you have enough money in the account rather than the life of faith in this God who is good and gracious. Well, you say, well, you still haven't gotten to the text. So what is the creation account teaching the original audience? You have to be brief on this point. But if you'll notice, in, in verses 1 and 2, in all commentators, everybody agrees with this, that, there is, that when God creates, He is not creating from existing material. Notice it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Y'all see that in verse 1? You go, so what? Big deal. I'll explain it in just a moment. But if you'll notice, everything after that is a different Hebrew word than the Hebrew word create, and that is that He made. In other words, when God spoke, all of a sudden we have Genesis 1 and 2. The material world comes into existence. And how does the material world look? Well, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Let me tell you what the significance of this is. And I might say some things that you go, wow, you know, I, I, well, first off, it means that God is eternal, doesn't it? He is eternal. You're not. We're not. We're created beings. That if God were part of the material world, then He's not eternal, and we're just like God. And of course, that's a lot of the teaching that's out there today, is it not? God speaks, and there's matter. And you have Genesis 2. And what do we have in Genesis 2? Well, it's really hard to say before He started making things out of what He spoke and created. This means that He is self-sufficient. That He did not create us to complete Himself. You know why God created everything? And I know this might be hard for some of you. Like, I don't believe any of that. Well, let me tell you, at some level, it, it, this is what the text says. God created all things. You know why? For His own glory. But He didn't make us going, wow, you know, I'm lonely. I think I'll make human beings. God is self-sufficient. And what that means is this. He doesn't doesn't need me. Uh, When I die, I guarantee you, Redeemer will keep going. It might go for generations. I'm I'm thankful that I can be used of God. Uh, but, but, But God is completely independent of His creatures. Which also means that God is absolutely sovereign. Let me tell you why you're here today. I think it's what the Bible teaches. You think you're here today, this morning, because you decided to get in your car and come here. You think, you think the way you think, whether you believe or don't believe. You think it's because you have independent thoughts and have not been influenced by God's providence. But you see, God is involved in all this. 
Now, one last thing. And I can say more about this, but how, how can I talk about the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God in 20 minutes? The last thing to see is this. The importance of cosmology. Why, why is this important? Well, I mean, how many of y'all felt like you're just sitting out there and God knows no, he didn't know who you are, he didn't know where you are, and even if you're a Christian, you're going, well, he's completely forgotten about me. Notice that in the midst of the chaos, the Holy Spirit is hovering over that chaos. You see, God is personal. He knows everything about His creation. He knows you. He created you male and He created you female. He created you white or black or in a family that's poor or born into a family of prestige. But not only did God speak and things come into existence, but according to the Scripture, He governs all His creatures and He governs all their action. You know, we uh, have uh, our kids here uh, in the back. We, we start a school called Downtown Academy. And they're kids from the urban area, about 55 or 60 of them. And one of the things we do is catechize them. And you know one of the catechism questions is, now, I want you to think about this if you're w w living in willful sin right now. Because we're trying to get it in these kids' heads. You know, one of the questions is, can you see God? And you know what the answer is? You that have kids? No, I cannot see God, but what? He always sees me. You see, even in the darkness, the Holy Spirit is hovering. And then when the, God says, let there be light, bam, everything starts coming. The light comes into the darkness and brings order out of chaos. Now let me close by saying this. There's incredible parallels in the scripture between sin and darkness. And when we live in light of the gospel, there's hope and meaning. But when we enter into the realm of darkness called sin, everything unravels. And we unleash upon one another chaos. And I think of the things I've heard, ways I've hurt my wife. I love my wife. She likes me, I think. But sometimes I've sat on the edge of my bed and wept when she's asleep because I felt like I brought chaos into her life. Not light. Not darkness. Not hope. Not speaking truth but bring in my own darkness of my selfishness. But here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen, and I have to close on this. John 1 teaches us a parallel passage that Jesus Christ has come into the darkness. And darkness always shatters. It always leads confusion. And if this does not move you, I don't think you're a Christian. If this doesn't move you to talk about him, or to want to worship him or serve him or repent all the time. But he enters into this world as the light of the world. But at Mount Calvary, God the Father removed himself and allowed him to not to experience the utter darkness of our sin. And he was shaken to his core. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because that's what it took for us
to experience the light of the gospel. What is your cosmology? Are you bringing utter chaos into your own life and the lives of other people? Well, trust me, if you've done it to, to them, then I, I guarantee you, you're doing it uh, before God. But the only difference is you'll come undone when you see him for who he is. Apart from the work of Jesus Christ. That's why cosmology is important. We're going to talk more about it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that being the very creator who was there from the beginning, that you uh, entered into our sin. You entered into this world and took our sin. And so we come to celebrate communion with you today. Uh, Father, pray for any who are here that don't know Jesus, that you would cause them to see that the only thing that makes sense is the gospel. Nothing else does. And Father, for those who are confused or they're fuzzy about the gospel, Lord, would you make the light shine? Teach us to repent to our wives and our husbands and our children. Teach children here to repent of bringing chaos into their parents' life, their own addictions or uh, through their own selfishness. Oh, God, give us the grace to repent and be broken and look to Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Uh, we're going to serve communion. Take about